a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad you joined us today. We're going to be talking about the latest attempt to infringe on the right to keep and bear arms. The House Democrats pushing this ban on so-called assault weapons, also pushing to repeal the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, by the way. Uh, and uh, yesterday, you know, we talked about the evidence that maybe the votes weren't there. Well... Uh, it's still unclear whether or not Democrats have cobbled together the 216 votes necessary to pass this bill out of the House. But H.R. Uh, 1808 is on the House Rules Committee calendar for a hearing Wednesday afternoon. Uh, that is a new change. It is still possible that uh, this bill will get pulled from consideration by the Rules Committee. It could be that, you know, they're putting it on the calendar because they know that they're running out of time. So let's put it on the calendar. Let's try to keep twisted arms in the meantime. If we need to pull it, we can pull it. Uh, I don't think that this is a guarantee that the Democrats have the votes, but you know they are still doing a lot of arm twisting right now. So I would encourage you, uh, contact your representative, let them know where you stand on H.R. 1808, uh, as well as, I believe it's H.R. 2814, that's the, uh, the repeal of the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, an attempt to try to sue the firearms industry into oblivion. And uh, President Joe Biden weighing in, he's, you know, doing what he can to rally support for the gun ban by claiming that if you don't support banning the most commonly sold rifle in the country, that you don't support police. Yeah, which is going to come as a surprise to a lot of law enforcement officers who own AR-15s and who have no problem whatsoever with anybody else who can, uh, you know, legally exercise the right to keep our arms from doing so. Uh, so I decided that today we would talk with uh, Eric Delbert. He is with the LEPD Farms and Range in Columbus, Ohio, Franklin County, Ohio. Uh, longtime member of law enforcement and uh, someone who is also a firearms instructor to get his take on Joe Biden's argument that unless you love banning guns, you really can't support the police. Take a look and a listen. Eric, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. It's great talking with you, sir. Yeah, always good to be back with you. So so I, I want to just throw this out to you. I don't I don't know if you and I have ever actually specifically talked about your views on so-called assault weapons, but given that Joe Biden says you cannot support the police unless you support a ban on modern sporting rifles. Uh, I think he referred to them as you know weapons of war. I'm I'm curious to get to get your take as a law enforcement professional, as a firearms instructor, as somebody who, you know, uh, uh, owns a range, owns a gun shop. Where do you stand on people like me being able to own AR-15 <laughs> rifles? I hope you have many of them. You know, Cam, it's crazy. It's the same old rhetoric based on emotion, not based on facts. And it's not the opinion of 99 percent of law enforcement across this country. I mean, if you look out there and you look at my, you know, my fellow officers on the street, there is none of us saying that, oh, we need to ban these. And furthermore, like we talk about on our show, and I know you do as well, you know, we're not beyond saying maybe we should look at certain things in the firearms industry to help the violence on the streets. But geez, when you pull, pull it all back and you look at the facts, the facts just don't support what is the rhetoric that's coming out of the other side of both these things? It's just it just doesn't support it. And that's why us as firearms owners, as law enforcement officers, as gun store owners, we look at it 
and we say, you know what, this, this is another emotion-based political move that has no impact. All right. So give me give me an example of the facts not matching the rhetoric, in your opinion. Right. I mean, if you look at law enforcement deaths a year, you know, over the last 10 years, there was just over 1,700 officers who were killed in the line of duty in the last 10 years. Of that, just over 500 were by firearms. So, you know, pretty much a third of it. But a hundred of those was all that was attributed to, to rifles. So, I mean, it's not to downplay that. Those are horrible. You hate to see the loss of life, the loss of law enforcement life. But if you're trying to impact change, are they focusing on what's important when, when it's such a small percentage of, you know, 100 over 10 years? You know, so you look at that, you look at just the normal stats we talk about all the time with the FBI um, uniform crime report stats. Every year for the past 15 years, you know, two thirds more people die by hands, fists and feet than by all rifles combined. So if they were genuine in what they wanted to do and they wanted to save lives, they're certainly not focused on the right things. And they certainly need to bring people into the mix who know what they're talking about. And I think that's our biggest frustration. I mean, we're not beyond sitting at the table and saying, look, we think we need to fix NICS. That is a huge issue. Or we need to do certain things to keep the guns out of the bad guy's hands. But these, what they're proposing has will have no impact on what we perceive as the crime in the streets and, and you know, the out of controlness that we're seeing right here in our city. I mean, if anything else or if anything, this simply creates criminals out of law abiding citizens. You know, if you cannot transfer. And it's interesting that this bill, uh, H.R. 1808, has a grandfather clause. So despite all of the rhetoric that we hear about, we got to get these battlefield weapons of war off the streets. This doesn't do anything. Uh, to the 24 and a half million estimated modern sporting rifles, not to mention the semi-automatic you know, pistols and shotguns that would be included under this bill. It does nothing to remove those guns already in existence from society. And I, I think that's by design. I, I think that they're trying to you know, craft something that, that even quote unquote moderate Democrats will go along with. And the more extreme this is, then the more votes they lose. So, all right, we're gonna, we'll grandfather these people in but we know from Joe Biden's rhetoric that that's not what he wants. You know, his, his plan was uh, you either register these under the NFA and, and then we promise once we know where they are, you can keep them uh, or you got to hand them over. Uh, you know, there's the Beto O'Rourke model of hell. Yes, we're just coming for your AR-15s. We, we, we know what the end goal is. And, you know, I think, honestly, Eric, you're right. I mean, about the facts. I think if gun control advocates could ban handguns today, they would do that, too. And their argument would be, well, look, handguns are used in a majority of crimes, therefore they should be banned. But the Supreme Court's taken that off the table. The Supreme Court has not explicitly said that bans on so-called assault weapons are unconstitutional, although I think we're heading in that direction. Um, and until the Supreme Court actually explicitly says that, I think we are going to see these attempts to sort of, you know, ban our way to safety and, and all of this uh, emotional rhetoric about, you know, if you don't support this, well, then you're a horrible person. You don't care about police. You don't care about students in school. You don't care about anything other than your gun. And yet, as you say, the reality doesn't match up to that. When you have first responders who say this is a bad idea, when you have moms and dads, you know, my, my friend Ryan Petty lost his, his daughter, Elena, was murdered at Parkland. He doesn't support a ban on AR-15s. Does that make him a, a, a cold, uncaring person? I don't right. think so. Um, so. So how do we best respond to this when we're called, when we're demonized 
simply because we don't believe that banning the most commonly sold rifle in the country is going to do anything to improve our public safety. How, how should we respond, do you think? You know, we've always taken the stance that we are going to put out the facts. And sometimes those facts aren't, you know, always great for gun owners. I mean, we want to we want to put the facts out there. And as a civilized society, which it doesn't seem like we're there much anymore, we can all sit around and say, look, these are the things that can impact change. Bad guys are always going to be there. They're never going to obey the laws. And so let's let's do something that's going to affect change. And, you know, right here in Columbus, we've seen a horrific spike in crime the last couple of years. And the city leaders just throw their hands up and we don't know why. And we need more rec centers and, and stuff that has no impact. When we stand back and say, look, guys, why don't you recognize that the overwhelming majority of gun owners are safe, responsible gun owners? And right now, and I think this is like this in many cities, the, the proliferation of firearms being put in the bad guys' hands because they're stolen is, is off the charts. So why not as a city such as Columbus, why won't they come out and say, hey, look, we recognize there are good lawful gun owners and let us help you secure those. Let's do a campaign. But they don't take that stance. They don't want to have anything to do with any gun owner, regardless of whether you're lawful or unlawful. And I think that's where where uh, we just can't believe that. I mean, we're just as much part of society as everyone else. And and I don't understand why they don't step back and recognize that, yeah, these are the guys doing it right. Let us help you, in our case, secure these firearms. We had a, a, a gun store got broken into last week again here in Columbus. Let's secure these places, sec- help people secure their firearms, and let's do something that's going to impact change. You know, and it's interesting because when they do try to 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 do something in that vein, again, they they cannot help but but put their anti-gun animosity front and center so i think uh i wrote a story about this last week i'm trying to remember what what city it is that's getting ready to implement i think it's milwaukee is getting ready to implement a lost or stolen ordinance uh so basically if your gun is lost or stolen and you don't report that to police within i think it's 24 hours then then you become a criminal yourself that to me is the exact opposite approach that needs to be taken. Uh, you know, first of all, I, I have a feeling that um, this would allow prosecutors to say, look, we did something as opposed to, look, we caught this person who stole a gun. Right. You know, you, you shouldn't. I, and I agree with you completely when it comes to safe storage of firearms. We do need to ensure that, you know, somebody breaking into a car can't just, you know, in, in three seconds, grab a pistol and be on their merry way. Um but criminalizing legal gun owners as opposed to educating them, as opposed to incentivizing, uh, you know, not leaving your gun unattended in a car, which, by the way, might mean getting rid of some of these gun free zones so that concealed right. carry holders exactly. don't have to leave their firearm unattended in their car. You're right. They don't want to have those conversations because ultimately, I think ultimately, I think it boils down to the fact that they don't like you and I and 100 million other Americans exercising our Second Amendment rights. And so anything that they do that doesn't inhibit that, they view as going in the wrong direction. Whereas, you know, my attitude is, I don't really care what you think about the Second Amendment. We live in a country where you've got the right to keep and bear arms. We've got 100 million gun owners. We've got 400 million privately owned firearms. That's the reality. It doesn't matter what you think about the Second Amendment. That's the world in which you live, and that's the world in which you're going to operate. And you're never going to convince Americans to give up their their right to keep and bear arms. And in fact, the more you try, you know, you talk about this uncivil society we're living in, the, the more they try to do this, I think the worse 
the divisions in this country are going to get. You're exactly right. Cam, my brothers and sisters in law enforcement, we stand side by side at these protests. And we know that it's the constitutional right of our fellow citizens to stand out there and call us every name in the books and say things to us that most people would, would be appalled at, would turn away, would, would want to fight for. And we sit there and because we know it's their constitutional right, it's our right to protect them, to allow them to do that. You know, that's I don't want to stand out there and be called all these names. You know, that's not what we want. But but what over is overwhelmingly uh, beats that, you know, personal necessity or personal need is that it's a constitutional right. And so just like that, they should be able to recognize they might not like guns. They might not agree with it, but they need to support us just like we support every other uh, right that's out there, even though we might not like it that day. It's just something that we should we should do and we need to do. All right. So last question, not that I think Joe Biden or anybody in the White House is going to listen to this interview, but if they were, what would what, what, what's the one thing? You think that the federal government could do right now, not state or local governments, but the, the federal government, what's the one thing that Congress could do that actually would help to improve public safety, that would help to reduce violent crime, that, that without, you know, again, trying to infringe on in anybody's constitutional rights? Right. I actually have two things. I'm going to slip okay. in two. Okay. So one is we got to get serious on arresting these people and keeping them in jail. I mean, this letting them out, you know, the next day, the same time, the same day, it's just crazy. We had a, a, person shoot someone in cold blood in one of our malls here a month ago and he was out less than 24 hours on video dead to rights and he is out less than 24 hours that that has to stop there's no there's no teeth in the laws anymore in regards to what we can do or what i would like to see done and you and i have talked about it before is the next background system it is our front lines it's not a save all it's not fixing this isn't going to be the perfect thing but in the last two years, Cam, three quarters of a million times, the system couldn't figure out in 90 days whether the person should be a perceived or denied. And it just drops off three quarters of a million times. I mean, that's unacceptable in a technological world that we live in that we can't figure it out. So we need support from above to get these agencies to, to put data in quicker, to be more accurate. To at least have it so the background check system is at the top of its game. And it's not now. I mean, we're losing, I think, six or 7,000 guns a year go out the door to people who later come back and deny. I mean, that's unacceptable. You know, talk about, you know, not uh, doing, uh, catching the low-hanging fruit. That's something that, that can be fixed, but it's never talked about at those high levels. Yeah. Let me ask you a uh, quick follow up question. And I realize I might be opening up a Pandora's box here that uh, requires like an hour uh, of additional <laughs> discussion. But, uh, you know, you, you talk about in ensuring that people who are arrested for violent crimes, if they are a danger to themselves in the community, that they remain behind bars uh, until they await trial. Obviously, that's not going to be the case with every offender or, or, you know, and certainly I don't think should be the case with a lot of nonviolent offenders, unless we're talking about really prolific individuals. But what's your take on what's going on with juvenile crime right now? Because it seems to me that just anecdotally, we're seeing a lot more really serious violent crimes committed by juvenile offenders. Cam, in Columbus, Ohio, it is off the charts. We There's a local reporter who has done many stories following these juveniles. 
that we have some that have been arrested three, four, five times for stealing cars. And now last week they upped the ante by breaking into a gun store and stealing guns. It is, it is out of control and it is just a revolving door. They are literally out the same day, if not the next day, time and time again. Now what we're seeing, and this just happened two days ago, they're stealing these cars and in the course of either running from police or doing what they do as a 13 or 14 year old, they're getting into these horrific crashes. We just had one where two out of the three were killed in the crash. 13 and 14 years old who stole the car, not their first time. Yeah. And you look at it and you know their neighborhoods that they lived in, they're even stepping up now and saying, hey, look, I know we failed as parents, but society failed too because we've done nothing but kick these kids right back out and show them that there's no penalty whatsoever for, for doing what they're doing. I mean, they, we are going to continue to lose some of these young lives because there is no adult in their life that is pointing them in the right direction. And, and, and sadly, even when there is, I think, an adult, uh, you know, not to go all Hillary Clinton takes a village on you, Eric, but, but you know, sometimes the system, uh, the, the system exists for a reason, or at least it's supposed to. I mean, I, I ran across a story this probably a month or so ago of a dad in Florida, his 14-year-old and his 11-year-old sons were arrested for burglary in a gun store. Uh, and they got three weeks in juvie. And the dad actually spoke out and went to the media and said, I want more punishment for my kids. Yeah. This keeps happening. I can't control them. And every time they break the law, this is what happens. They go to juvie for three weeks and then they come home and they know that this is what happens when they break the law. So they're not listening to me. They're not listening to the system and the system is not giving them the punishment that they need. What am I going to do? Ground them? You know, I, so I, I'm, I'm with you there. And the frustration within these communities and again even with some of these parents who want to do the right thing but uh, but need that help uh, need right. that assistance you know it's not happening and you're right i worry that this is going to get a lot worse going forward so i, I appreciate you joining me on the program uh if folks want to listen to uh, ontario radio every weekend how do they do so yeah we're at noon eastern uh it's uh, on our facebook page it's live that's lepd firearms and range it's also on iHeartRadio, 610 WTVN is the station. You can tune in, listen live, and it's also podcast everywhere where you get your podcasts. Awesome. Eric, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you coming on the program today. I hope we get a chance to do this again soon. Absolutely. Anytime. I appreciate uh, Eric joining us on the program and I look forward to having him back again very soon. You know, one of the reasons why I mentioned juvenile crime <clears throat> is because today's recidivist report actually deals with that. This is from Memphis, Tennessee. Shelby County Juvenile Court continues to investigate why teens' ankle monitor failed before allegedly killing a Memphis reverend. Yeah. You know, we have seen multiple stories. We've covered multiple stories here over the past few months about these types of incidents where people who are supposedly on monitoring devices uh, are accused of committing heinous crimes, supposedly while they're under supervision, right? So in this case, this 15-year-old, Memphis police have identified him as uh, Miguel Andrade, accused by authorities and in court documents of the shooting death of Reverend, or, uh, Reverend Artura Eason Williams during a carjacking in her driveway last Monday. Also accused of another carjacking hours later in the Cordova neighborhood of Memphis. Uh, 
LocalMemphis.com, which is uh, the ABC affiliate there in Memphis, says, while the juvenile court office looks into what went wrong and how this teenager apparently went off the monitoring grid last week, a local attorney says it's part of a broader issue, funding challenges for such supervision. Attorney Michael Working says we have exactly the juvenile court system that we pay for. And, you know, that's on all of us as members of the community. Uh, he says that the uh, funding woes have the juvenile court case of Andrade now under the microscope. Look, he- here's the thing. <clears throat> it may be that it's a, a lack of funding. But I think we also have to talk about the fact that when someone's on electronic monitoring, it's entirely up to the monitoring company to ensure that they actually are being monitored, first of all, and that there are uh, reports immediately uh, upon evidence that either that device has been removed or that the device is not working. And that simply doesn't happen. According to ABC 24 in Memphis, juvenile court judge Dan Michael said the 15-year-old was put on an ankle monitor in March as part of a plea deal for three separate carjackings. So first of all, again, when we talk about the juvenile justice system being a joke, three carjackings, uh, we're going to put you on an ankle monitor. But again, despite being on monitoring for carjacking, uh, that device apparently didn't work when he committed two other carjackings last Monday. Uh, ABC uh, 24 says that the uh, judge uh, told them that Andrade's family was notified twice in recent months when a monitor couldn't charge and needed to be replaced. Um, this local attorney who says, well, it's a funding issue, says, well, there are requirements. You know, the batteries have to be changed. There could be faulty equipment. There could be a lot of things that go wrong. Yeah. Yeah, there could be. And, and again, we have to quit acting like monitoring devices. Uh, actually do anything to ensure that violent offenders are actually being watched. Because I don't think that's the case, quite frankly. There's certainly no guarantee that that's happening. And again, we've seen so many of these cases over the past couple of months where individuals just over the past couple of months, I mean, this has gone on a lot longer than that, obviously. But where individuals who are suspected or accused or have been convicted of violent crimes are on monitoring, they go on to be accused or convicted of committing other serious violent offenses, and the system just keeps operating in the same flawed manner that it always, well, that not that it always has, but that it certainly has in recent years. And nobody really wants to talk about this. Joe Biden didn't want to talk about this. Democrats don't want to talk about this. They don't want to talk about fixing the system. They want to talk again about banning guns. Now, let's turn our attention to today's armed citizen story. Albuquerque, New Mexico, another state that has embraced a gun control ideology over the past couple of years, hasn't done anything to lower their violent crime rate, but uh, thankfully they have not managed to eradicate civilian gun ownership uh, or defensive gun uses. And a uh, home invasion that turned deadly in northeast Albuquerque turned deadly for the home invader, apparently. Uh, An Albuquerque Police Department spokesman says that the incident occurred on uh, Sunday morning in the northeast part of the city when a suspect allegedly broke into one home in the neighborhood. And after he was detected by the homeowner, he then tried to steal a set of keys 
uh, but was unable to flee the scene. He then tried to break into a second residence, so apparently he was able to escape that first home. And then rather than just taking off, like, well, I was close, better get out of here. Nope, he decided to break into another nearby residence. That led, police say, to an altercation, during, a week, uh, during a, uh, which at least one gunshot was fired, killing the suspect. The case remains under investigation. Uh, but again, at this point, this looks to be a pretty clear-cut case of self-defense. We'll keep our eyes on any details and bring them to you as they become available. Uh, finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. A uh, good Samaritan in Brooklyn, New York, uh, who helped save a five-year-old child from drowning at a public pool. Uh, Anthony Torres told the media that uh, it was traumatic. He says, I was a lifeguard for two years. Never seen nothing like it. It's a very traumatic experience. Torres says, when a woman began alerting people that this five-year-old had gone under the water, it was about 7 o'clock Sunday night at this uh, public park in Brooklyn, Uh, He says he didn't wait for the lifeguards. He says, I was swimming with my sister in the pool and some lady started pointing down and I quickly walked over and saw the little boy slumped over under the water. He says, I went under, I picked him up. I started yelling for someone to come and do their job uh, for them to help with the lifeguards. Lifeguards gave the boy CPR. He was taken to a hospital. He is expected to recover. Uh, And uh, Torres, again, whether he wants to admit it or not, Uh, definitely is a hero for acting as quickly as he did. And we thank him for his very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. We'll be back tomorrow with even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information. We are, again, closely watching what's going on with the gun ban bill in the House. Scheduled right now for a hearing in the House Rules Committee on Wednesday afternoon. Congress set to adjourn for the month of August coming up on a Friday afternoon. So Democrats are up against the clock if they want to try to pass this uh, gun ban out of the House. Of course, it's going nowhere in the Senate, but uh, they desperately want to talk about anything other than inflation and the uh, slowing economy between now and November. We, on the other hand, we want to talk about, uh, you know, the Second Amendment issues that are most important to you. So we'll be doing that again tomorrow here on the show. But don't forget to check out BarryandArms.com throughout the day. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free. <laughs>